Section 11 of Seven Roman Statesmen of the Later Republic by Charles Oman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5 Sulla, Part 3. In the spring of BC 83, Sulla landed in safety at Brundisium, which opened its gates without opposition, an event of evil augury for the Democrats it was his object to show from the first that he came as the friend of italy and the enemy only of those who had proscribed him all through his first campaign he was fighting with his brains as much as with his sword by proclamations no less than by battles he began by granting the brundisians immunity from all taxation as a reward for their surrender as he marched through apulia he kept his army in such order that neither man nor beast cottage nor cornfield was harmed yet it must have been hard to hold in veterans accustomed to the plunder of the east wherever he came he announced that there was full amnesty and pardon for every one who did not actually appear in arms against him this conduct had the most marked effect on the hostile army from the very first the democratic legions showed great lukewarmness in the cause of their commanders the two consuls for the new year gaius norbanus and lucius cornelius scipio were entrusted with the opening of the campaign against the invader they were both very incompetent officers and foolishly separated their armies by such a wide gap that sulla was able to deal with them in detail norbanus was defeated near canusium in apulia he hastily fell back across the apennines but received a second beating at mount tifada after which he shut himself up in capua his colleague scipio marched to his aid but his army was dispersed more by intrigue than by fighting for sulla proposed an armistice and took advantage of it to tamper with the consul's men who when the resumption of hostilities was proclaimed refused to fight part of them dispersed part went over to sulla and scipio fell into the hands of his enemy still maintaining his ostentatious affectation of magnanimity the latter sent him away unharmed giving him an escort as far as the nearest democratic camp he then returned to blockade the army of norbanus the democrats complained as plutarch tells us that in contending with sulla they had to fight at once with a lion and a fox and the fox gave the more trouble of the two sulla's first successes emboldened the surviving members of the optimate party who had escaped the sword of marius and had been lurking ever since in obscure hiding-places to take up arms the senior in rank was the proconsul quintus metellus pius but by far the most able were two young men gnaeus pompeius and marcus crassus each of whom had to avenge a father slain in the civil war the one in a mutiny the other in the great massacre of b c eighty seven both were active enterprising and fortunate pompeius gathered in picanum where his family was popular a tumultuary force that gradually swelled to three legions crassus levied a small army in the martian territory these insurrections distracted the attention of the democrats who were forced to turn against them a considerable portion of their new levies and had in consequence less men to oppose to sulla 
it thus came to pass that the proconsul found himself strong enough to march on rome when the spring of b c eighty two came round he planned a diversion on the east side of italy where metellus and pompey made such a bold advance that carbo with the main army of the democrats went off to hold them in check leaving the younger marius with forty thousand men to guard latium in the appian way when sulla started for a sudden rush on rome he found only this latter army in his path at sacra portus near signia he inflicted a crushing defeat on the young general who was a brave soldier but no tactician the optimates were much outnumbered but the slackness of the rank and file among their enemies gave them every advantage in the thick of the fight five cohorts threw down their standards and went over to sulla this broke the line the enemy fled and marius only succeeded in saving a fraction of his host within the walls of the fortress of praeneste the road to rome was open and sulla marched hastily on the city he occupied it without having to strike a blow but found to his disgust that he was too late to prevent a fresh massacre on getting news of the defeat at sacra portus the praetor lucius brutus damasippus had laid violent hands on every person in the city who was suspected of sympathizing with the optimates mucius scyvola the pontifex maximus and many other respectable men perished in this disgraceful slaughter after the fall of rome sulla's star was manifestly in the ascendant and he possessed the obvious advantage of appearing to be the legal representative of the people since he could compel the senate and the comitia to vote whatever he pleased the war assumed a very confused and chaotic aspect for fighting was now going on all over italy and each side had dispersed its main force in the endeavour to seize or to hold as many important districts as was possible but the whole business came to a head on november first b c eighty two while sulla was facing carbo in etruria and young marius was still being besieged in praeneste the enemy made a vigorous attempt to seize rome a division detached by carbo made a junction behind sulla's back with the national levy of the samnites who were helping the democrats more in the character of independent allies than in that of roman citizens gaius pontius of telesia a namesake of the ancient hero of the caudine forks led his countrymen to join damasippus and carinus the whole mass came rushing down from the apennines upon the city which the samnites intended to sack rather than to save sulla received news of this concentration in his rear so late that he almost despaired of arriving in time rome was within an ace of destruction for the vanguard of the optimate cavalry arrived when the enemy was only two miles from the gates if their generals had pushed forward a little farther on the preceding night october thirty first instead of encamping close to the city they would have found no one to oppose them as it was sulla's legions had to be placed in line directly they arrived after a fatiguing night march and without being granted time to take a proper meal the battle that followed was far the fiercest of the whole civil war for sulla had to deal not with the lukewarm levies of carbo but with the sturdy samnites pontius rode round his army crying as wellius tells us that rome's last day had come that the tyrant city must be destroyed to her foundations 
that the roman wolves the bane of italian liberty would never be got rid of until their lair was laid waste the armies met outside the colleen gate on the northern side of the city the optimate legions being ranged with their back to the walls and only a few hundred yards from them sulla had the left wing his lieutenant marcus crassus the right for some hours the fortune of the day was hardly contested crassus gained ground but sulla's own division was pressed backward till some of the cohorts were crushed against the walls and others vainly tried to re-enter the gates which were closed against them by the citizens the general himself was in imminent danger of death those who were near him saw him draw from his breast the little golden figure of apollo which he always wore kiss it and mutter to the god that it would be a scurvy trick if he allowed sulla the lucky to fall at last on his own threshold by the hands of traitors apollo was not unpropitious the wreck of sulla's wing held out at the foot of the walls till the night fell soon after the news came that crassus had completely routed the forces opposed to him which seems to have been mainly composed of the democratic levies of damasippus and carinus not of samnites this caused the enemy to draw off from sulla their general pontius had been mortally wounded and it seems that there was no capable man to take his place at dawn the two optimate divisions joined and swept away the dislocated forces of their opponents one democratic legion came over to sulla's side the rest dispersed but not so quickly but that eight thousand of them were captured in their flight the generals damasippus martius and carinus suffered the same fate on the next day sulla cut off their heads and sent them to praeneste to be exhibited to young marius and his famishing garrison the dreadful sight had its effect marius committed suicide and praeneste surrendered the victors sorted out the romans from among the prisoners beheaded those of senatorial rank but let the rest go free the italians were all put to death to the number of several thousands the same fate had already befallen the captives taken at the colleen gate eight thousand of them all save the roman rank and file were slain in the circus maximus which had been utilized as their prison the senate sitting hard by in the temple of bologna heard the shrieks and groans of the victims and showed signs of terror but sulla bid them stick to their business and not allow themselves to be distracted it was only some malefactors who were suffering the reward of their crimes there was still much fighting to be done in italy carbo deserted his army in etruria and fled overseas but his partisans held out for some time in isolated bands norba and nola stood long sieges and volaterrae held out for the incredible length of two years but the main war in italy practically came to an end with the victory of the colleen gate and the fall of praeneste the struggle after that date mainly consisted of the savage harrying of samnium and etruria the two districts where the democratic party had made itself most strong leaving the completion of this guerrilla warfare to his lieutenants sulla had set himself to the great work of his latter years the remodelling of the roman constitution on an oligarchical basis with this object he had himself appointed dictator in november eighty two but a dreadful preliminary to his political work 
was his great proscription the formal revenge for what marius and cinna had done in b c eighty seven to eighty six down to the moment of his victory it was said he showed himself a far more moderate and humane man than could have been expected after it was won he was more cruel than could have been believed possible he spared indeed the rank and file of the roman democrats but he systematically cut off every man of note in their party it seemed that he was determined that not one leader should survive to rally the partisans of the lost cause he started his operations by issuing three long lists of persons on whose heads a price was set the first contained eighty names the second and third two hundred and twenty each he then coolly gave notice that he had condemned every one whom he could remember but that those whom he had forgotten should be put into supplementary catalogues these dreadful appendices kept coming out for many weeks and not till they ceased could any roman who had not taken the optimate side feel himself secure many comparatively obscure names crept into the lists for the generals and favourites of sulla often got him to insert their personal enemies among the executed he himself seems to have been as impervious to corruption as to pity but those about him were not and all sorts of old grudges were paid off under a pretence of political vengeance in all some fifty senators sixteen hundred equites and at least two thousand private persons were executed in the sullen proscriptions the heads of the fallen were exhibited in the forum according to the disgusting custom which had begun at the death of sulpicius their property was confiscated and their children and grandchildren were declared of tainted blood and incapable of holding any public office the sons of the proscribed formed a well-known group of malcontents during the next generation on account of this disability which was now laid upon them but the proscription was only in sulla's estimation a necessary preliminary to the great work of reconstruction which he had taken in hand he had resolved to rearrange the whole constitution with the definite object of transferring the sovereignty of the state from the people to the senate we have already pointed out that in the roman politics of the last fifty years the main difficulty that lay at the bottom of all disputes was the quarrel for sovereignty should the senate according to recent usage or the tribes according to ancient constitutional theory be the body that really ruled the city and the empire senatus populusque romanus was a sounding phrase but neither optimates nor democrats had any love for the mutual interdependence which the words postulated now sulla thought that all the troubles of the time came from the fact that neither senate nor people had full sovereignty and as a consistent oligarch and a conscientious party man he was determined to put the balance of power to an end by conferring complete autocratic authority on his own senatorial order the optimates had during the last fifty years suffered from three different sorts of foes from unruly tribunes galvanizing into spasmodic life the cumbrous but all-powerful machinery of the comitia from over-great magistrates like marius or cinna who renewed their power from year to year and kept an army at their backs and from the newly created equestrian order the body of financiers 
fighting for their own interests by the power of the purse however sordid and anti-national these interests might be sulla's laws so far as they dealt with things political resolved themselves into an ingenious and systematic attempt to break down the power of all these three enemies of the state the comitia tributa and its tribunes the great magistrates and the equites if all three were politically annihilated there would be for the future no check on the omnipotence of the senate the dictator's object was to combine the maximum of real with the minimum of formal change for though he was himself completely emancipated from that slavish respect for the letter of the constitution which swayed the average roman he knew that this was the case neither with his friends nor with his enemies the hardest blows were aimed at the most powerful enemies the tribunes and the comitia tributa whose power of issuing and repealing any laws that they pleased had been the greatest danger to the senate as long as any democratic tribune could bring forward whatever laws he chose and as long as such laws when passed by the plebeian assembly became binding on the state there was no security against a reaction which might annul the whole of the cornelian laws the moment that their author should have passed away sulla's action against the comitia was very ingenious he made no pretense of abolishing it or of abrogating the omnipotence of such bills as it might pass he only determined that no dangerous bill should ever come before it this was accomplished by reviving and making indisputably valid the old claim of the senate that every law should of right be laid before them and receive their auctoritas or certificate of legality before the tribune introduced it to the assembly now obviously such bills as the senate would pass on as harmless and useful would be measures that did not cut short their own authority or clash with their ideas of expediency sulla therefore compelled the comitia to pass a law which made the grant of a senatus auctoritas a necessary preliminary for the production of a law before the people henceforth as he hoped there would be no chance of tiresome and dangerous bills for land redistribution or corn doles or grants of abnormal powers to magistrates being passed by the assembly all such schemes if broached in the senate would be stifled there and go no farther no measure of a democratic complexion would ever reach the comitia all that the people would be able to do would be to reject bills sent down to them with the senatorial sanction if they had the pluck to contradict the governing power in the state their power of initiation would be gone thus reduced to impotence the assembly was no longer an object of dread to sulla and for that reason he did not think it worth while to abolish it or even to turn out from it the hordes of italians whom cinna had thrust into the midst of the old citizens he made no attempt either to confine them to a few tribes or to suspend their franchise thus he kept to the letter of the promise which he had made to the new citizens when he landed at brundisium personally as an old aristocrat sulla probably felt much less contempt for the italians than for the original plebs urbana what he thought of the freedmen who were so prominent a feature in that body may be guessed from the fact that he not only put them all back into the four city tribes but actually foisted in among them in a single day no less than ten thousand voters of the lowest class 
enfranchised slaves of those who had fallen in his own proscription they all took him as their patron and adopted his name of cornelius which was henceforth one of the commonest appellations in the slums to destroy completely the powers of the plebeian assembly as an element in the constitution it was necessary not merely to subordinate its legislative functions to those of the senate but to cut short the dangerous and anarchical privileges of its presiding magistrates the tribunes some legislators would have abolished the tribunate altogether and considering the way in which tiberius gracchus and saturninus had used it there would have been a fair excuse for doing so sulla however merely resolved that he would invent rules which should for the future keep tribunes out of mischief it was not enough that a senatus auctoritas should be required for any bill that they might bring forward he determined that they should for the future be non-entities men unlikely to disturb the state by their personal ascendancy or ambition this end was secured by the ingenious law which provided that for the future the acceptance of the tribunate should be a complete bar to the holding of any subsequent magistracy in the state the man who chose to be a tribune would put himself out of the running for any further political promotion but in spite of this disability it was conceivable that an ambitious man might become tribune with the intention not of sacrificing any external career but of being perpetually re-elected to this office like gaius gracchus of old sulla provided against this possibility by repealing the law of b c one twenty nine which had made it legal for a man to hold the tribunate in successive years he enacted that tribunes and as we shall see other magistrates also should not be chosen again without an interval of ten years between their two tenures of the post thus it was secured that for the future no man of more than fifth-rate ambition would become a tribune since by putting in for a nomination he cut himself off from all hope of a brilliant and continuous public career but even the nobodies who would now hold the office were not to be left shackled only by their own nothingness sulla gave the senate a power of fining the tribunes for any conduct that it might consider illegal or unbecoming so that they had to live in awe of the governing body all their days if they held too many noisy public meetings or dared to use their veto freely they might find themselves saddled with a crushing penalty and reduced to poverty the only power in short which remained untouched among the tribunes privileges was that which he had been given when the office was first invented in the days of the early republic the use auxilii ferendi or right to intervene in behalf of the individual roman citizen who might be suffering oppression having dealt thus with the tribunes and the assembly sulla had next to take in hand the second power in the state which was dangerous to the sovereignty of the senate that of the individual magistrates according to the theory of the roman constitution the consul or praetor deriving his authority directly from the people because he had been elected by them in the comitia centuriata had a very independent position in face of the senate that body indeed had in early days been nothing more than the band of advisers chosen by the consul whose monitions he was equally free to accept or reject even in these latter times a headstrong consul could practically disregard the voice of the senate for his whole term of office 
and if he was chosen for several years in succession he could go on administering things much as he pleased without being restrained to any appreciable extent such had been the position of marius during the years of the cimbric war and of cinna in b c eighty six to eighty four sulla therefore had to guard against the ambition of the magistrates of the future his main weapon for this end was his lex annalis this law provided that all the offices of the state must be taken in strict rotation first the quaestorship then the praetorship and lastly the consulate no one was to hold two offices in successive years and the different limits of age prescribed for each secured that a considerable time must elapse between the tenure of them otherwise of course an ambitious politician might by taking aedileship praetorship and consulate in successive years get a long spell of continuous power and make himself permanently disagreeable to the senate much less was it to be permitted that any magistrate should hold the same office continuously one of sulla's ordinances was to the effect that there must be a gap of no less than ten years before a man could be re-elected to the same post we have already come across this provision when dealing with the tribunate there would therefore no longer be any place in the constitution for a marius or a cinna but in the true oligarchic style each man would get his turn and no man more than his turn every politician would be able to calculate with precision when he ought to hold each office without the danger arising that some interloper of genius might swoop down and monopolize the series of praetorships or consulships that ought to have been divided among half a dozen minor persons. End of section 11.